Good morning. Come on, good morning. All right, all right. Anybody excited for the word this morning? I, I am excited. I got an email uh, about a week ago. A friend of mine said, I'm going to be in town. And I just want to get together with you. And I said, I'd love to. Let's get together. But I also would love for you to come and meet the church family. Let me tell you a little bit about my friend. I met him about 15 years ago. Can't believe it's been that long. But I was a youth outreach worker doing youth ministry, working with World Vision. And, and, and World Vision partnered with this ministry and brought him on and... Um, and so I got to sit in these classes for three years, three-year intensives that uh, we traveled all over. We went to the worst hoods. I was in Compton, California. I was in, we, were, we went to the worst hoods in the United States and uh, with uh, the other youth ministries. And then the challenge, the bigger challenge, I, was, I felt safer in Compton than I felt in this man's class. Because God used this man to... I, I'm, I can honestly say from the pulpit here that he shaped my theology. God really used them to, to challenge me with questions, to challenge the way I believe. This church would be a totally different place, and many of you probably would not be here if it wasn't for my times in, in, in this man's class and the challenge that, he's, that he put before me. I'll be honest with you, when I first met him in the first class, I said, this guy's not even Christian. I was so, I was so scandalized. I had such a such a strict legalistic. He he's probably in a little bit of a culture shock just meeting you guys today. But I was such a different person, such a different man back then. And I just thank God that God used them to shape, to shape, and to get me to to realize things on my own. And so, if you're real careful this morning, and if you pay attention, I believe God will be able to, to shape your theology and to drop something good into your heart and your spirit. Amen? Can we give him a TSF seven-foot love welcome to Chris Rock? Yeah, Chris Rock. Wow. Well... I do believe the spirit is alive and well. Part of the way I know that is I think you got this little white boy to get some of that spirit this morning. And that takes some doing. That takes some doing. It's good to be here. There is no place, no place, and I really mean this, there is no place I'd rather be than right here. Pastor George, thank you. Um, so sit back and relax if you need some sleep because you lost an hour. This might be the time to get it. I, I will not be offended. I promise you. Um, if you need some sleep, get some sleep. If the Spirit awakens you, well, then let the Spirit awaken you. But don't force it. Please don't force it. You've got enough things in your life being forced on you. The Spirit will never force anything. That is not the Spirit's way. Never forces anything. Always invites. Always welcomes. Always calls, but never forces. So yeah, Chris Rock. <laughs> All right. 
I think I had it before he did, not by much. I'm a little older than he is, I think. Um, pray for him, because I gotta live with whatever he does. It's true, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I think he's funny, I think he's funny. I showed up uh, at a church um, in, uh, in South Seattle years ago, and they put my name on the marquee outside. And it said, Chris Rock. And it was in an African-American neighborhood. Now, I am used to disappointing people, but that was, that took it to another level. The church was unusually filled, filled that morning, and they were all hunting for Chris Rock. Where's he going to come? What's he going to say? And they introduced me, and there was just this gasp, this sort of, really? It's all right. <laughs> Some things start that way, don't they? Some people looked at your life and started off disappointed. It's a hard thing to say, but it's true for some of us, right? Doesn't matter. God's not disappointed. God's not disappointed. So we're on our way to Easter, and that's good. And we're getting closer to Easter. But we're going to get there by way of the cross. There just really is no other way to the resurrection than through the cross. And so there's this season that's set aside. Every year by the church, it's been happening for a long time. I see that you're practicing it. You've got the mirror up here. It's called Lent. Now, I, I was raised Catholic, and Lent was a big deal for us, all right? What, what did you give up this Lent, right? You've got to give up something, right? And if you don't know what that's all about, then it just feels like another religious thing you got to do to get in front of. It's like Jesus or God is some ATM machine and you got to punch the right codes to get his approval or get something from him. That's not what this is about. Lent is about going light for a little while. It's called the spirituality of subtraction instead of a spirituality of addition. Sometimes you got to go light for a little while to see things clearly. And so this is my favorite time of year, personally. I like to go light for a little while. I need to go light for a little while. Maybe you do too. Let go of a few things in order for the Spirit to speak to you. Well, that's why I'm here, is I've been going light for a little while, and I hope to bear witness to some good news. Good news in places that I've seen, and I hope that that's good news for you. That's my hope this morning. Now, a little context. So I run an organization called Street Psalms. Street is in road. Psalms is the Old Testament book, right? Street Psalms. And we train urban leaders in cities around the world. We've been in, I don't know, um, 30 cities worldwide, 15 different countries, training urban leaders around this particular question. What is good news in hard places. What is good news in hard places? We say we train the head, the heart, and the hands of urban leaders to love their city and to seek its peace. And the thing that energizes us is this gift. I didn't make this gift happen. Gifts are given, aren't they? And you steward the gift. And the gift for us is how do you see and how do you celebrate? All right, see this? Now here's a lesson. When when white people get the spirit, we get quiet. So that that was just 
I was just trying to prove that I had the spirit in my tradition. That's <laughs> ah, how we are. I don't know. That's how God made us. Uh, you notice that about us? It's so different preaching in a, in a, in a white church versus uh, any other church. Huh? Is in a white church when you're really going, it is dead quiet. That's that's how no that's how you know you're really on it. <laughs> uh, pray for us. <laughs> pray for us. Yeah. What was I saying? Something. Seeing and celebrating good news in hard places, right? We've been in all kinds of different cities around the world. And it's an incredible privilege for me to be able to do that. And I'm here to share a few stories about what that's like, and, and maybe it's good news for you. But here's the deal. So seeing and celebrating good news in hard places means that you've got to have the eyes and the ears to see and hear the good news as it's happening. And it used to be that I thought it was my job to bring the gospel to all the places that I was in. And maybe there's some truth to that. But that's not the deepest truth. It isn't. We don't bring the gospel anywhere. We really don't. I hate to break the news to you. It actually is good news if you hear it. It's not on you. It's not on me to bring the gospel to all those places as if... There is no gospel at work, as if the Spirit was not at work in all of the places that you show up. We don't bring the gospel anywhere. We bear witness to the gospel everywhere. Isn't that right? Everywhere. And I didn't. I see. Now you got white. You got a little quiet, didn't you? <laughs> How's it feel? <laughs> Everywhere. Everywhere. I, I really mean that. Everywhere. Everywhere. You show up and the gospel is already at work. That's the nature of the Spirit. And this frees you up. It is for freedom. I love that. It is for freedom that you've been set free. You were not set free to get it right. You were set free to be real. And that sometimes means getting it all wrong, messing up. It is not dependent on you and I. And I am here <laughs> to bear witness to the truth of that. I think sometimes God chose me like he chose you just to have a little fun. <laughs> and just to prove that you, it's not dependent on you getting it right. It's the invitation to keep it real and to let God do what God does. So I'll prove it. <laughs> uh, pray for me now. <laughs> <laughs>
So when I first got started, this was back when I was doing youth ministry, and when you're first getting started, there ain't nobody else going to listen to you but the youth, and they're not even listening, but you got to hang out with somebody, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I start hanging out with all these kids, and, and, uh, and I, was, I just didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't grow up in youth ministry stuff, and I, didn't, like, I just didn't know, but I had a heart. I had a heart. It's about all I had. And I said, all right, let's do, you know, let's do this. And so we start hanging out with kids. And the next thing I know, I had 100 kids in a bus on the way to a camp. And it was my first camp. I'd never been to camp, not, not only as a leader, but as a kid. I'd never been to a camp. I didn't know how this was supposed to go. And I was a brand new Christian, okay? And I was still learning the ropes a little bit. I'm still learning the ropes. And we get to the camp, and you got to understand, I mean, this is, this is one of those outreach camps. And I hung out with the hard-headed, knuckle-headed kids. You, you don't know any of those kind of kids, but those were the kind of kids I used to hang out with, right? And there was Craig, and he was a, a young man, and he, uh, he really took to me. He, he, was, he, he and I connected, right? Now, he didn't have a father. And uh, his house was a mess, um, but he's a good kid. And he would just sort of get, you know, he's one of those kids that sticks to you. And it's like, after a while, you're like, come on, man. Like, but he's not going anywhere. So we get to the camp in the first night. And this was an outreach camp. And it was one of those kind of camps and kind of outreach thing. It wasn't really intense. It wasn't, it wasn't like a hardcore gospel presentation. It was like just a, a really um, soft introduction. Soft introduction to the gospel for kids who had never heard anything about it. And the first night, the gospel message went something like this. We're glad you're here. God loves you. Go back to your cabin and say what you're looking forward to this weekend. That was the gospel presentation on the first night. Not a real hard sell, right? The end of the first night, Craig pulls me aside. He says, Rob, I'm ready. I'm like, for what? <laughs> I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. And now I thought, I think I might have the gift. I'm an evangelist. This is my first save, right? And I'm thinking, this is easy. This ain't nothing. First night and I already got them. Lord have mercy, do I have a gift or what? I didn't even have to say anything. I said, well, Craig, well, you know, I was a little confused because I wasn't ready for the first night like that. And I was still figuring out the four things you say, right, and how you pray. And, and I, didn't, I didn't have that down yet. Um, I said, well, all right, Craig, will you just pray after me? And I'd never done this before. So I start praying, and I got the order mixed up, and I can't even remember what the four things are. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, and I'm just praying. And I was praying him into the kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm praying and I'm praying him into the kingdom, and I get done. And of course, I was elated, and I looked up, and he was miserable. Little junior high kid, miserable. He just had that look like, what? What have I done? <laughs> he was miserable. And I go, Craig, don't worry about it, man. You just get, it's, this, is, this often happens as if I've ever done this before. I said, done. Nothing to worry about. You know, you, you come to know Jesus and sometimes it's overwhelming. Don't worry about it. You're in the kingdom now. Let's, let's celebrate. Well, the kids go out that night and they leave the cabin and go on a nighttime adventures 
So it's just me and, and Craig because he's a disciple now, right? He's got a, he, I said, Craig, this is the first step of discipleship. All the other kids are out there having fun, doing whatever. You and me are back here. We've got to pray for them. <laughs> and he goes, what? Praying for, like, yeah, Craig, you're a disciple. You're a follower of Jesus now. He was miserable. Frankly, so was I, but I couldn't tell him that. Like, man, what are we doing here? <laughs> the next day, we get up in the morning. And I could tell, man, he just had a terrible night. He, his whole affect looked like, you know, the, the spirit had been taken out of him in some weird way. I was like, what's going on? He comes up to me at noon, and he says, Rock, could we talk? And he got real serious. And he says, I think I made a mistake. <laughs> uh, what, I'm an evangelist <laughs> what do you do and in faith I heard the spirit speak maybe I had a little Pentecostal moment and I heard the spirit say Chris Think like a junior high kid. And I thought, that is not going to be a problem at all. I am, I'm an immature guy. I could do this. I could do this. Now, now, bear with me here. I said, Craig, I got it. You know how I prayed you into the kingdom? Hang on there. Now, don't judge me. Okay? <laughs> Our job is not to get it right. It's to be real. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Honest to God, I was nervous. I was like, Craig, you know how I prayed you into the kingdom? I can get you out. <laughs> he looked at me. He looked at me and he said, you do that for me? And I said, no sweat. For you, I'd do anything. I said, all you, <laughs> all you gotta do is bow your head and pray with me. And I prayed in reverse and I prayed him out of the kingdom. And his face was beaming when he got done. Now, I thought I was going to hell, but his face was beaming. He was so excited. He gives me a big hug and he said, thanks, Rock. This is the best weekend of my life. And he went off and had a great time. The spirit is at work everywhere. Listen, what, we, he wasn't ready to say yes to Jesus. He wanted my affection. He was a kid without a dad. Thank you. He was a kid without a dad looking for affection. And I misread it because my eyes were so fixed on something else of getting whatever, doing the right thing. That I couldn't see the real thing that was happening, which was he wanted a connection with me. And I was not available to him. 
I was so committed to this gospel thing that it got in the way of a relationship with Craig who needed a relationship with me. But I didn't know what in the world I was doing. Don't, don't get me, don't think that I knew what I was doing. Don't, I, I was uncertain. All I had was an intuition, an intuition that said, the good news is deeper than that prayer. The good news is for me to love this kid where he's at and trust the Spirit to do whatever the Spirit does. That's good news, isn't it? You want that kind of good news, don't you? You don't want to be hurt by the good news, oppressed by the good news, forced by the good news. You want the liberty that comes with good news. I know you do. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. We went down to Guatemala, which is where we have a lot of work, and uh, we started a gang chaplaincy program. And I'm not a tough guy. You got to know this. I am scared. I am scared. I don't know why. I, I, it's, it's yeah. I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm always scared. Like, and we're we start this gang chaplaincy program because it looks like that's what the spirit's up to. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. And so these gang chaplains started to hanging out, started hanging out in prisons. And these prisons are separated by gangs because down there you can't share a prison. Gangs can't share a prison for obvious reasons. And so they segregate them by prisons. And so we go into the 18th Street Gang, which is named after a street where? In L.A. That, by the way, the largest gangs in Central America did not originate in Central America. They originated on the streets of North America, and we exported them in the 70s and 80s. They were coming up freeing, fleeing oppression and civil war in Central America, just trying to get out of violence. And on their way north to get out of violence, they ran into violence. That's when the Bloods and the Crips started to show up on the streets of LA. And so they formed a gang, right, of their own to, to protect themselves. And then the FBI came in in the 80s and said, we've got to take out the senior leaders. And they, they took them down and they, and they exported them back down to Central America. The two largest gangs in Central America originated here, not there, here. We need to know that. So we go down, and we're hanging out, and there's the gang chaplain said, we built relationships, we love these guys, we love these guys. God's at work here, the Spirit's at work here, come and see, Chris. I'm like, are you sure? But don't worry about it. So we go into the 18th Street prison. And now you have to understand, the guards take you to the gate and then they let you in, but they don't go in with you. You are on your own. I am not a tough guy. I am not Donald Trump. <laughs> Sorry. I am not a tough guy. I'm a scared little white boy. And I'm like... Are you sure the spirit is at work in there? <laughs> and the gang chaplain, he said, trust me. I said, all right. So the prison, prison guards take you in. They get you to the gate. They let you in. You were on your own. Now, we were the first, first group in 
two weeks after, three weeks after another group had gone in, he was a teacher. I'm a teacher. I'm mostly a teacher, not a preacher. A teacher had gone in two and a half, three weeks earlier. He had sort of gotten uh, sideways, shall we say, with some of the gang members. And um, he quite literally uh, never walked out without a heart. They opened his body up and this is, this is crazy stuff. I said, are you sure the spirit is at work in there? Trust me. The hardest thing for a white male to do is trust. That's why we like to have control. I said, I'm giving up everything I know about who I am when we walk in there. I've seen the spirit. I've seen the spirit at work. God must be doing something. I see the excitement in you. I want to see what's going on. So we go inside. Now, when you go, <laughs> when you go inside, there's other things inside there. Somehow, somehow, um, you, can, uh, you can bring things in that you wouldn't normally find in, inside of a prison at that scale. So you walk in and there is a cloud of smoke, and I'm not talking cigarette smoke. Now, full disclosure, it, it had been a long time since I'd been around that kind of smoke. But the truth is, you, you do have to breathe at some point. Because we were going to be in there a long time, and there was no way. <laughs> there was no way around it. When in Rome? So I st and now I'm hyperventilating because I'm a, I'm a scared white boy, right, who's out of control. I did relax. It's true. <laughs> I relaxed, just like you would have relaxed. I needed to relax. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor. I don't know what to say. These are st so. These are just my stories, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I relaxed. The first guy I met is Muerto. Now, I, like I took a little Spanish in, in high school, but I cheated all the way through. So. But I knew enough to, wait, Muerto. Is that, is that who I think it is? He says, yeah, let me give you a tattoo. He was the, he was the tattoo artist for the, he was baked out of his head. I said, Muerto, I am so honored, but I think I'll wait. So we go in, we had a great time, we just talked, and then, uh, then Joel, my colleague, who lives and works down there, say, hey, Chris, why don't you just say something? I go, Joel, I don't know what to say. He says, just say something. Now these, all of them have done horrible and horrific things. All of them. They're little, little kids, like little, little young, tatted up their face, but they look mean, right? So they all gathered around and I said, not knowing what I was, I didn't know what I was thinking. I said, you know, those are some amazing tattoos you got. <laughs> Just trying to, I said, I don't got any tattoos. I like your tattoos. I said, God was the first tattoo artist. 
He put a mark on Cain. I believe it was the mark of grace to protect him. You've been marked. I do believe you are marked with grace. I do believe that. They relaxed. I relaxed. We breathed a little more. <laughs> and then I said, you know, one of the one of the names of God in the Old Testament is this name Yahweh. I said the name itself mimics the way we breathe. Literally. They wanted a name that mirrored the way we breathe because you can't you can't own the name of God. You can't control the name of God. Your, your lips don't clasp over it and your tongue can't control it. You simply breathe the name. You're saying God's name right now. I hope. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I said, what's the first thing you did when you came into this world? Nobody told you to do it. They might have given you a little tap on the rear. But what'd you do? You said God's name. Nobody told you to do that. You did it out of your own free will. You wanted to do that. God is with you. God is with you in the beginning. And what are you going to do the last thing you do when you leave this life? You will exhale the name of God that was given to you, is in you, now at work through you. Always, from beginning to end. God has never not been with you. And if anybody, if anybody makes the gospel more complicated than that, run. God is with you from beginning, in the middle, in the end, all the way through. In the good times, in the bad times, when you can barely... Breathe, literally. God is with you. There's no Pentecostal way to breathe. There's no Catholic way to breathe. There's no Baptist way to breathe. There's no male way to breathe. There's no female way to breathe. You just breathe. That's all you got to do. That's how simple this is. Why have we made it so much more complex? God is with you right now. You've been saying God's name since the moment you sat down. Isn't that good news? And God's with you in a particular way without judgment. Without judgment. There is no condemnation in Christ. Just breathe. That's how intimate God is and we began to literally just breathe together it was a very powerful moment for me I don't know about them 
but something happened to me. I don't know what happened for them, but something happened to me. And these hard, angry, many of them murderers, some of them may have been the ones who had ripped the heart out of the guy who had showed up the week prior or two weeks prior, I don't know. But these vicious, hard young men started to look like innocent little boys to me as we breathed. They were little boys who were loved by their mother. They were little boys who were loved by their father. Yes, they were little boys for whom life had not been kind. That's true. But I began to see them as they actually are. Created in God's image, bearing his very likeness, I had, I've got two boys. The distance between my boys and where they're at and where these guys is at is the accident of where I was born, the accident of the skin color I was given, the accident of the family that I was placed in. I'm not saying God is making accidents. I'm saying I had no control over these things any more than you have control over these things. And they became my boys. And until you see the people across from you or the people you serve as your family, as your kin, you will forever treat them as something less than what they are. They bear the very image of God. And I was changed. I don't know about them, but I was changed. Transformed by the very gospel that I preach. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. A few years ago, um, my parents uh, called up. We met, and it, would, it had become clear that they needed some help. And so I turned to my mom and dad and my wife. And we all sat down, and I said, Dad, if you need some help, we're here. And you know how when you, you offer something, but you don't intend for people to, uh, to actually, you want the benefit of offering without any of the hassle of them accepting your offer? It was one of those offers. I was like, Dad, you know, I'm here for you. You know you can count on me. And he says, well, I, I need you. So we built an addition off the side of our house. Now, this may seem normal to anybody who's not white, but I'm telling you, you don't, we don't do that, right? Like, we're not so good with our parents. That's something we're not so good at, right? We don't know what to do with this stuff. We built an addition off the side of our house. We moved in, and uh, it only lasted two months for Dad because he came home on a Thursday, and the doctor said, it doesn't look good. He was, he was gone within a week. Yeah. And Mom was in bad shape. She has dementia. So two days before he died, or I guess it was the day before he died, um, you got, uh, oh, you have to understand, I'm the youngest in my family system. So this is like, I'm playing out of order here. Like, 
I'm not the, I'm not the one that's supposed to be doing this, right? I just happen to be in the right place at the right time, that's all. But this wasn't my role in my head. This was belonged to somebody else, maybe one of the older siblings. You know what I'm saying? But something, something was going on here. The Spirit was moving, breathing among us. And I'd been enough places where I'd trusted that, and I was like, I think this is, I think this is ours. This is mine to say yes to. So the night before, the day before he died, I went out for a run just to kind of clear my head. And it became, it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Maybe I am a Pentecostal. Who knows? Maybe this is, I, I keep having these stories. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I came back. Dad was in rough shape. He's laying there. He could barely speak. I said, Dad, you know how you've always asked what you could do for me? Dad was always asking, what can I do for you? I want to do something for you. He's a good man, good man. And I do training and I travel and all that stuff. And I'm like, gosh, if we built houses, if we did something practical, if I did anything practical, he could help. I don't do anything practical. And it drives me nuts sometimes. All I do is talk or write or all I got is words and relationship. And I'm like, Dad, I don't, gosh, you've done everything, huh? You've raised me. You've loved me, huh? And he's like, no, but I want to do something. He's from that generation. That's how they love you, is they want to do something for you, right? I said, Dad, you know how you've always asked if you could do something for me? I think I know what it is. I finally know what it is. He just sat there and he listened. He couldn't hardly speak, so he didn't have to say anything. I said, but before you do this for me, I'd like to do something for you. And I said, it won't take anything. Just sit there, just relax. And I took my finger and I traced the sign of the cross on my father's head. And I said, you are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Mark 1.11. You are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Dad was one of ten kids. His dad was a good man, but he wasn't there for him. He didn't know how to show any love. He's just trying to get by himself. He wasn't capable of giving and receiving love. And so my father always wondered, was he good enough? Did he have what it takes? Did his father, did his earthly father love him? Did his heavenly father really love him? He was always trying to do something to earn the love. You know what I mean? And I traced it on his forehead and I said those words. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, if you ever go, <laughs> if you ever go study the Latin of, of that, which I hope you don't, I'll just save you the trouble. You can trust me on this. The Latin of that, that verse is something like this. You are my son whom I love. And with you, I am well-pleased. That phrase, well-pleased, is complatio. Do we have complatio? Have I said that right? It means literally to dwell with like. When Jesus, at his baptism, heard these words, you are my son whom I love, 
and it would go like this at a street level. The father's voice says, you're my son and my daughter whom I love, and I really like you. Now, some of us know God's love. For some of us, that's an abstract theological term. But when you have known yourself as one liked by God, your life will be transformed. It's not enough simply to be loved. I'll love them, but I ain't got to like them. You heard those people? I'll love them, but I ain't got to. No, love when it's full, fully grown up, when it's fully mature, blossoms into like. Like is the highest level. It's the highest level of love. I'll love you until I like you. That's what happens. I like you. These were the words. These were the words that I shared. The first words my kids heard when they were born into this world. I wanted the first words that they heard to be the same words I imagined God said to them before he gave them to us. The doctor handed me Grant Nathaniel Rock and I held him and I said, Grant Nathaniel Rock. You are my son whom I love and I really like you. And I handed him to Lana, my wife. Two years later, Mitchell Thomas Rock came into the world. The doctor handed Mitchell to me and I said the same words, Mitchell Thomas Rock. You're my son whom I love and I really like you. Until you've known yourself liked, you don't know the love of God. And for some of us, we don't know that we're liked. We kind of have an idea that we're loved because that's what God does. He's love. But it hasn't penetrated to the place where we know ourselves liked. Come on. Come on. And our lives mirror that. You know what I mean? We act as though we're not liked. We treat ourselves as though we're not liked. We treat others as ones who have not been liked. No, 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 huh? The gospel moves in you. The spirit moves. And the spirit wants to say, you are my son, my daughter, whom I love, and I really like you. That's how I propose to my wife. I'm not, I, hey, okay, so. I said, I love you, and I really like you. Together, I think we're good. What do you say? It wasn't all that romantic, but I tell you, huh? Needs a little work, but you know, you get the idea. Like, like, do you know you're liked? Some of you know you're loved, but do you know that you're liked? Do you know that you're liked? Do you? Who's liked you? Do you like yourself? About 2 a.m., it's pretty tough for me to answer that sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Why did I do that? Why? I'm an idiot! Right? You, that's the voice of the evil one. That's never the voice of the Spirit. Never, 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 ever the voice of the Spirit. The voice of the Spirit will never accuse you, ever. 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 I like you. I like you. I like you. I like you just the way you are. And someday you're going to like yourself too. You really will. You won't be so hung up. You won't be so angry. You won't be so defensive. 
Nobody could offend you anymore. They can say what they want. You're not in rivalry with anyone or anything. You're not a hot fuse waiting to go off every two seconds. You're liked, you're liked, you're liked, you're liked, you're liked. You're liked. And so I said, Dad, would you bless me? We all need the blessing of the Father. I don't know why I was lucky enough to get it from my earthly father. Some of us don't get that. But I needed it, and I was there, and I asked him for it. I said, you don't have to say a word. Just put your hand on my head and bless me. And I tell you, I'm different. I'm different. I'm different because of that blessing. He didn't even say a word. I prayed that prayer. Mark 1.11, every day, you, you are my son whom I love, and I really like you. The next day, dad was in bad shape, and it was time. And for whatever reason, I don't know, it was just me, and the kids were outside playing basketball. It was a beautiful day. And he was, he was slowly but surely drifting. And the peace that passes all understanding I mean, it was, it was thick. It was everywhere. And it was so amazing that I went out to the kids who were 15 and 13. Well, they were, I don't know, a little two years younger than that, 13 and 11 at the time. And I said, guys, you got to come in here. And me and my boys sat with my father in the end. And I said, just shh, shh, listen. Can you feel it? And they're like, Dad, this is amazing. The peace in here is thick. And then they got bored. <laughs> so I said, listen, go back out and play basketball. <laughs> and it was just me and my dad. Just me and my dad right there at the end. Sitting there. And we just breathed. I taught my dad this prayer. And he slowly, slowly, I watched his pulse right here. Just slowly, slowly, until the last breath. And it was beautiful. Not everybody gets that. I know that. I know that. I'm not here to make my story over and against anybody else's. But it was beautiful. I've seen other deaths and they weren't beautiful. But isn't it amazing to know that the Spirit is at work from the beginning to the end? And in a couple of weeks, we'll see Jesus on the cross. And at, what, at the end, it says, and then he breathed his last. He exhaled the name of God. And for three days, the name of God did what? It hovered in the darkness and chaos. And when God's name goes forth, it recreates whatever it goes forth. 
And for three days, the name of God was recreating all of creation so that by the time that he was raised, right, where it's almost like a second Genesis, it's a new creation, all because of God's name. All because Jesus released God's name into the chaos and the darkness. And it called forth life, and he's resurrected, and he comes to us in the upper room. And what does he do? He breathes on us. He breathes on us. He gives back the very name that created us. And he says what? Whoever you forgive is forgiven. You... God's name is at work in you right now. The power of God is at work in you. And the power of God is this, to know that you're liked and to forgive those who have hurt you. That is the power at work in you. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that good news? I'll end with this. and. Uh, I don't even know how much time I took. I'm sorry if I went over. Um, um, Auden, who's a poet, said it this way. I know nothing except what everyone knows. If there, when grace dances, I should dance. If you ever encounter grace, just all you got to do is join in the fun and dance. That's all, that's all you're asked to do. Just join the party. Just join the party. Just join the party. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us because he has anointed us to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is the Spirit that is among us now. Christ be with you, Christ within you, Christ behind you, Christ before you, Christ beside you, Christ to win you, Christ to comfort and restore you. Christ beneath you, Christ above you, Christ in quiet and in danger, Christ in hearts of those who love you, Christ in mouth and friend and stranger. God bless you.